0: Hey, God Watch people, it's Phil Goth here again with the God Watch Podcast. Hey, thanks for coming back and listening. Uh, make sure you come and visit with us on Facebook. We have a lot going on. I'd love to hear from you. Also, this week we have an amazing show from Mike Higdon. He, again, is from First West Church in Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, one of the, the great guys who came and a girl who came to, to meet with us. Treat us so well we were while well, we were out there. Mike has an amazing story and really something after my heart because Mike has just the ability to reach out to some people who maybe struggle with being churched and his history and his past play a lot into that and the development into him as a mature Christian. So sit back and enjoy Mike Higdon. Mike,
1: thanks for taking your time and being with us today. I just want to thank you for coming, being so willing on kind of short notice to share your, share your story with us. If we step back a few years, or, or guys who don't know you, I mean, and really it's the first time we've ever met, so can you just give me a little background on you, maybe your family, where you, how you were brought up, things like that? Sure. My
2: mom and dad were divorced early. I think I was maybe a year old, my mom remarried when I was two or three years old. They were Christian-based, but they didn't go to church. We went to Sunday school. I remember that when we were little. Then we moved away to out to the country, and um, we never never went to church after that. So kind of got away from God. I mean, I was, I was five, six, seven years old when I was first going to Sunday school. So we kind of got away from going to church when we moved away. My life was pretty... Pretty good up till college. That's when I started, where, got introduced to beer. Where were, you, where were you
1: living It. I mean, are In you, Battle
2: Creek, in Lakeview. Battle, Battle Creek, Michigan? Uh-huh. Okay. And then we moved out in, out of the city into a small town called Delton. So I had some good friends there and, and uh, were close with them. And like I say, when I moved away to college, um, that's where I was introduced to alcohol. And I think when I came back to Michigan, I went to school in Lyme, Ohio, to a college there, a, a technical school. So I come back to Michigan, and that's where I think my alcohol—I started abusing alcohol—and met my first wife. Um, we were married only a short time for a couple of years, and had a boy, had a baby boy. And so I missed the first part of his life, you know, with my priority priorities being screwed up. How How old were you when you
1: had your first kid? Then were you still in college? Twenty. No. Nope. Okay.
2: Um, I'm sorry. I was. Not in college. I, I was 21. I went to a two-year college. I, I started college when I was 18, got out when I was 20, and I was like 21, 20, 21 when we had our, our, had our boy.
1: So now, I mean, you're bringing up alcohol being a thing that you pointed to when you were getting younger. When mm-hmm. you When you look back on it, all of us, well, not all of us, but a good majority of us, you know, we kind of hit that college age
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're on our own, we get a little bit more freedom. Can you look to a situation of why i mean was it i 'm drinking because it 's fun i'm drinking to escape I mean, is there a reason why alcohol was I think kind more of prevalent?
2: To, because it was fun and to um, fit in social yeah, yeah. So. and it just and i wouldn't drink one or two, I would drink. You know, 10 or 12 or 16 beers, you know, it wasn't to have, you know, a couple and be done with
1: it. It's a life of the party kind of guy. Right, exactly. You know? Now, I mean, I couldn't, I know a lot of people have kids when they're 20, 21 and, and more power to you, you mm-hmm. know, but, you know, I kind of followed the same path a little differently, you know, just partying and, and mm-hmm. trying to have a good time. But I could not have imagined having a young child at twenty-one. I was, you know, I'm thirty-six, so, you know, I think first kids when I was thirty. I I wasn't prepared at thirty, let alone twenty-one. <laughs> I mean, what was that like? Was it just really stressful? What, what was it like when you had a child at twenty-one?
2: I, I really think of myself as being a little more mature than most twenty-year-old people because I, I mean, I was working a good job. As soon as I got out of college, I had a good job and. I was kind of a workaholic, also. Besides being an alcoholic, I loved to work, and and I would work hard and earn as much money as I could to provide for my wife and son. So um, I don't know. I wasn't. Really, I didn't really scare me. I mean, I was. I come right out of. I mean, I worked. I had a job even when I was in high school. I worked co-op for my last two years of school. So I knew what working was about.
1: And I think that's. You know, that's just something that. Are you, still, are you still working?
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, and that's something that I still, I struggle with personally, is just my ability to balance work-home life. Because it's the same thing, you know, I've always, I wasn't brought up with a ton of money, and mm-hmm. I think when I look at my biggest fear in life, it is being destitute. You know, being able to not support my family, being able to not support my kids. Um, and I know I know that God will provide the things that I need but in my mind I still sometimes click back to being like well what happens if this doesn't happen what happens if if God's plan is that I don't get to keep my house you know and
2: exactly i surrender I, I struggle with the same thing as surrendering, surrendering my life to God and, and trusting him to provide for me when I don't work those extra hours to, you know, to have that money
1: at least in my case since I work for myself, I kind of have the ability to manage my own schedule which which you would think would give me the ability to be home more and do the things that I want. But instead, sometimes I'll see, well I can hustle in two more jobs and I can work these jobs during the day and these jobs at night and then I can increase my income, you know, instead of having to rely on over time or picking up a second job or things like that you know so it's a little easier for me to be able to just shuffle a couple more into the mix and you know I just I've never been able to handle that that balance very well and it's always true you hurt the ones you're closest to and you know even though I, I sometimes try to provide for them sometimes it hurts them and you know I just I've never found <laughs> it. A good way to do it. I I was hoping you'd have some insight for me, man. <laughs>
2: I don't. No, so. matter of fact, my job now, I travel a lot for work and I volunteer a lot for the extra work, you know, so it, that pulls me away from my wife and my home life even more. So yeah. um, I don't get to see her as often as I would like to or as often as I should.
1: You know, and it, it's it's interesting, though, because I know... Kind of before we kicked off here, we were just kind of getting to know each other for a minute while we're setting everything up and one of the things we you know that I talked about was the women that we have to have in our lives to be able to understand us with specific challenges and I think that's one of those. I have a strong wife, you know I mean she's mentally strong, spiritually strong, you know and, and she just is able to keep me contained sometimes, you know, and and I always talk about how she's kind of that anchor, you know, like, I run around crazy, I'm flying in circles, (laughs) and and she's just that one that sits in the center that always keeps me tethered, otherwise, you know, it'd be like, you ever, you ever watch that, that space movie with, I think Sandra Bullock and somebody else was in there, and they're doing this spacewalk, and the guy cuts the cord, and he just flies away, that's what it makes me think about, like, if I didn't have her just holding that down for me,
2: <laughs> Did, Phil, I'm just going. That's funny you say that, cause I feel the same way about my wife. I, I feel like the Tasmanian devil and she's my centerpiece and she's the one that pulls me close to her and makes me normal. Yeah. <laughs> she She's a school teacher and she teaches seventh and eighth grade English. So a lot of people say that's how she's able to deal with me and she's used to dealing with kids. <laughs> my wife's so, a teacher too, so, so that's why it's that's funny. Crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: I never want it to be, you know, for, for women who listen, I, I hope that it doesn't come off as it's a necessity. I don't want it to be a burden to her. I don't right. want it to be, I I look at it as a blessing Absolutely. that that I have her, you know what I mean? And, and I don't want it to be her responsibility to hold me or her responsibility or, or duty to handle that for me. But you know, just that's just in my mind. That's how I see it and how another reason why I can love her as much as I do, mm-hmm. right? So, you're 21, you got a kid, you're married, you married at the time? Yep. Okay. And you're starting your career, but alcohol is kind of coming into play a little bit. I mean, are you daily drinking?
2: No, pretty much on the weekends, just a binge drinker. Um, Party on the weekends and then work all during the week.
1: Work hard, play hard.
2: Yep. And I actually took on some extra work on the weekends, you know, I do some side work on the weekends. So. I did work, work a lot, and for about two or three years I worked two jobs. So my, my wife, or ex-wife now, didn't have to work. She could take care of our son. So
1: We went through that for, you know, my, my wife this year has gone back to full-time work before she just worked part-time and helped keep benefits and things like that. And I don't know that we've necessarily talked about this, but sometimes the, the stress of being that sole provider. I don't know that people understand, you know, we talk about working too much and we doing that, but now I'm trying to get out of that routine of it, but just that idea that if I don't provide, if I don't perform, there's no safety net. You know what I mean? Now that my wife's got a, a job and she's back working teaching again, you know what, if I have a slow week, maybe I just look at it as a blessing that I get to be home and maybe Help around the house or pick up the kids at school. I think that people sometimes underestimate that and what goes through your mind as the sole provider for mm-hmm. a household, especially when you're blue collar when you're working. I'm sure that it happens for white collar guys too, but you know, for me, that's at least where I can I can relay it. You know, because for people who look at that, you know, there's days I go home and and you know I don't know specifically what you do, but there's days that I can't close my hands because. I've been turning wrenches all day long or doing something, and I burn through a pair of shoes every four months. You know, I have holes in them because I'm on my feet walking, jumping, moving, and carrying stuff. And I I don't know that, I don't even know that if people close to me understand the plight of that. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you get out of bed, you can't stand up straight.
2: I'm a diesel know. mechanic by trade, that's what I do. So yeah, my, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about.
1: That's what my grandpa did his whole yep. life. Yeah. And so, you know, I can I can relate to that. I you know, I, I lived with my grandpa growing up and, and you know, our oldest son is named after him. I have nothing but affection for the guy and he he passed away, you know, maybe ten years ago. But I bet I was I was probably five oh. or six and I remember going to sh- to work with him, mm-hmm. I would just go and hang out at the at the shop, yeah. you know, in the back of a truck stop, and you know he'd be turning wrenches, and I would be rifling through his toolbox <laughs> and looking at what I'm doing, and he'd holler at me, get away from there. <laughs> but you know, so yeah, I totally get where you're where you're coming from, and you know, and it was hard. I remember he had uh, he had the hood of a semi come down on his back, wow, and uh, it broke his broke his neck, and oh. well, I mean nothing. He broke his neck, but you know, he was in a collar and laid up and yeah, I mean you busted up knuckles and broken mm-hmm. bones and you know, kind of sometime rough living. You know yeah, what I mean? There yeah, exactly there's a, you know, being being guys that work in the in the field type stuff, we're surrounded by guys that aren't always the most godly, right? I right, mean exactly. We, and I know sometimes at least I get looked at because yeah, you know, sometimes I speak a little rougher than what I should, right? Right. I mean, do you run into the same thing? Yeah,
2: I actually, I work with a a close knit of guys, of seven guys that are on a a team. When I bring up God, I kind of get pushed away. If that ever gets brought up in our conversations, they kind of just discount it or, you know, I feel like a a loner sometimes because I'm the only person that goes to church every week and, you know, Am close to God.
1: You know, I, I've been there too, and I think that initially, I think that I was somewhat put off by it, you know because I was kind of the same deal, you know. Oh, look, it's the church guy. Exactly. And uh, eventually, I just didn't care anymore, and I really looked at it as a ministry field. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember going to my grandpa's work when I was a little kid, and there was like. Nudie calendars in the bathroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the Mac Tool Girls in their pin up <laughs> swimsuit or you know, their lingerie or whatever it was. You can't just take anybody, drop them in that environment, and expect for them to be able to reach these guys. Right. You know, sometimes you have to meet people where they're at, right? Exactly. And yep. For, you know, you, you take a normal Joe Blow that works nine to five in a corporate environment, he can't walk in there and talk to these men and relate to them in the same way that you can, right? right. And so, yep. you guys are experiencing the same things, nine to five, sometimes you spend times with the guys you work with more than you do your wife. Right. What better place than that to not be preachy, but to be able to relate to them an example to them Mm -hmm. in a way that they understand, you know, and so that's kind of, that's how I started approaching it, and, you know, it was interesting, the conversations that I would have, because I remember, I had this electrician that worked for me, and uh, we were working on a McDonald's, and we were up on the roof, and I bet we spent half a day, we got done working, and it must not have been busy, because we sat on this roof for half a day, and he just argued with me about and, and he he's the one that brought up the conversation, but he just argued with me about how can you believe in God? And you know, the best people I know aren't Christian. And I just laid stuff out for him. And I'm not trying to convert you, I'm just trying to show you, trying to show yeah. you love and trying to show you these things. You want to know why I can sit here and not be angry with you talking ill about my faith or thinking that I'm not intelligent because I have faith or, you know, these things. Mm-hmm. It's, because i love you. You know what i mean? Yeah. And and just trying to get that through to somebody in in that way is sometimes interesting. So
2: I know i've had a few guys come up to me at work, some of my teammates and say, "Man, you've changed a lot in the last 6 or 7 years." Well, i've been sober sober 7 years, going on 8. It's, they see a big change in me, and i said it's you know, it's because of my christian faith and because i've quit drinking. But I greet people in the morning, you know, good morning, good afternoon, just go out of my way to hold doors for people and and try to show them that I love them and, you know, that I care. And um, back, you know, I can say 10, 12 years ago, you know, it was me, me, me. I did everything for myself. I didn't care about nobody else's feelings. I, I know God's working on me and I know other people see that. And that, to me, is important, you know, that people see that and it's... And it's a compliment to me that people see that. I don't know if he meant it as a bad thing or a good thing, but I took it as a good thing.
1: Yeah, what, however he meant it, however you accepted it, is how it meant to be, you know what I mean? Right. If, if, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. You've changed. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad that I've changed, you know what I mean? When, right. you look, when you look back, probably seven years ago, life was, at least when I look back, life wasn't so fulfilling, right. you know what I mean? Now I'm fulfilled, I'm happy have more joy so i hope i hope that that's the same
2: exactly yeah it's it i mean i I still have my struggles every once in a while but they're nothing like they were before nothing like that you know it's my life is so much better
1: when we go back to to your first marriage how long after you had your child did you guys end up splitting
2: it was about eight months
1: okay Um, so not not really baby was still young young yeah
2: really young and it that really killed me and I'm, if I knew Jesus back then, I meant things would probably be a lot different. But I'm, I caught her cheating on me, and you know, and I, that's one thing I didn't put up with, you know. And and it's funny because after that, I was you know drinking and wild and crazy and sleeping with all kinds of women and what doing whatever, you know. And and I don't know if that was a, a result of that, you know, if that if that worked on my feelings or conscience or whatever, but. I mean, I was just wild and crazy and did what I want. I still went to work every day and didn't miss work because of drinking, but I was out of control.
1: <laughs> you know, filling that void, right? I mean, <laughs> there's something missing and scorned by scorned by your ex, and yep. you know, just trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. You know, and that's it's a path a lot of guys find. You
2: know, and so. I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that God put my wife Molly in in her place, cause she had never been married before. And we just, we're celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary today. So we've been married it, six
1: years. And you're here with me instead, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
2: but um, I'm sure God put her in the place, you know, to meet me and to, to marry me and, you know, I, I just feel we're meant to be together. And yeah. it's a blessing, definitely so a blessing. She, so
1: she met you then right after you got sober.
2: It, well, no, I was still six years ago is when we got when you got married married, but she's probably known me for nine years, so she knew me when I was drinking pretty heavy.
1: So, oh. so she's seen the good side and the bad side. Yeah, yeah. So if we step back in that in between periods, when did you when did you come to know Christ? Like, how did that come into play in your life?
2: I think life? that was um, during my fourth drunk driving. Um, my uh, the pastor that married my wife and I, I mean, I knew him for probably six or eight years before, because I'd go to church once in a while with my mom, and that was her. That's her pastor. He sat me down and you know introduced me to Jesus and saved me and baptized me and and uh, so I I think that's when I really started to the light kicked on and I want to get my
1: life straightened out. Well, and you're singing fourth fourth OWI that's I mean that could be jail time that could be prison time prison time yeah Yeah. and so did you end up having repercussions out of it I mean did you have I mean obviously in between one two three and four did you have did you do prison time did you have
2: well the third the first two I, I had my license revoked for 30 days and 60 days and then My third one, I had it revoked for a couple years and I wore a tether for, I think, three months and had to breathe into a breathalyzer and I finally got my license back and I had to have a um, breathalyzer to start my car and, yeah, it was, I mean, it seemed like after the third one I would have learned, but I just didn't and, I mean, I was 31 years old when I had my third one. And it's most people, you know, after I look back on it, most people are grown up and are done with their hard drinking days before that, yeah. you know, so. Because
1: you can't, you can't go that long and it'll kill you, right? right? Yeah. But, and that's, and that's one of the, you know, I think that as society, sometimes we see, we see drugs and alcohol. I mean, they're both addictions, but mm-hmm. because alcohol is legal, sometimes we go, no, it's just, just, it's just beer. It's just liquor. But some of the worst detoxes I've ever seen and some of the worst withdrawals and some of the people who come back repeatedly are with alcohol. Right. And I think sometimes as a society, we kind of downplay the severity of alcohol and chronic alcohol use. So.
2: Well, I think a, a big part of my um, recovery was AA. I mean, I would dabble in it the after the first one, I didn't go to AA. The second and third one, I went kind of in and out. And the fourth one, I mean, I I did the you know the, uh, 90, ninety days, ninety meetings or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and man, it's just an eye opener. You know, the people took me in and they, you know, I got a sponsor and worked the program and did everything I was supposed to do, but I kept going back. You know, and that's the key to staying sober. You know that and. A loving wife and people that understand and want to help you. You know, you got to have that. You got to have help. You can't
1: do it on your own. So now, I've never been in a step program like a... um, What... What's that sponsored relationship like? There's a thing called a trigger
2: and that's what causes you to drink. Well, Mm -hmm. my trigger was, you know, the weekend and um, being alone. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to have, you know, go to the bar and and, um, be the life of the party and you know be funny and, and uh, interesting and so that was my trigger and when you have a sponsor when you get to that point you need to call your sponsor and tell him you know look I'm, I'm thinking about going to the bar you know and then he talks you through it and
1: weighs it out
2: you, you can meet him you know go and meet him for dinner or lunch or whatever you know that, that a sponsor plays a big part in your sobriety
1: I walked with a lot of kids I mean I see kids you know they're late high school still mm-hmm. kids um, who had addiction issues mm-hmm. and yeah the phone would ring in the middle of the night and most of the time they would come to me after it was too late I messed up mm-hmm. you know and I really you know I really preached that it was important that their parents knew and and I had a couple who didn't talk to me anymore like they you know, I still know you know, one guy comes into mind in particular. I was like, you really have to talk to your parents about this, and, and you need, they need to know what's happening, they need to know the situation, and he called me up one day, and I walked with him for a little while, and uh, he called and just laid into me about how I ruined his life, and this, that, and the other, and I, I never heard from him again, and I always kind of wondered. and. You know what, now he, from what I understand, he is clean, sober, he's helping other people with recovery, and you know what, if that means that I don't get to have a personal relationship with you, but you get to live, and you get to help other people, like, my job is done. Like, we don't have to be friends. Like, I'm just glad that you have a good life. And at the time, he couldn't see it. I, I kind of wonder if that's kind of what that sponsor relationship is, you know, that you just, you're not their friend.
2: Exactly, You're, yep. you're there
1: to lay out some honest truth to them and, and push them in the direction they need, even if it means they're going to hate you. Yep,
2: so. and I've told people that. I've helped, you know, people have come to me and asked me how I've stayed sober and, and what it takes, and I said, first of all, you got to get a sponsor, and it's got to be somebody that's not close to you because they're going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. You might not like it. But they're going to tell you, you know, you need to, and you need to call them before you drink or before you use, not after. Yeah. And that's what, that's what helps you stay sober.
1: Do you still, are you an alcoholic?
2: You're, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic.
1: Now, after not drinking for six years, I know that some people find that hard to understand, right? Because... Mm -hmm. If you're a vegetarian now, you're not, I used to eat meat, well now I'm not. How, how, why are you still an alcoholic, even though you are sober?
2: Because you always get those urges, you know, they might, they might be spread out farther, they, you know. You always get the urge to drink, and that's the time, like I say, when you need to talk to your wife or your spouse or your sponsor, if you still have a sponsor, if you're still active in AA, you need to get to a meeting. But for me, it's different for everybody, but for me, my wife is a big part of my life of, of staying sober. I still don't really want anything to do with alcohol. I've, I've, and my wife asked me, she said, what keeps you from drinking? And I said, I don't even think about it anymore. And I still hang around, Like um, I don't hang around, but some of my f- friends or coworkers that I work with, I have to travel with them and they're still big drinkers. And and I'll go out to eat with them, and they'll drink, you know, have drinks, and, and it doesn't seem to bother me. I don't know why why it doesn't bother me, but I I just take it upon myself that I'll I'll be the designated driver. I'll drive you back to the hotel.
1: You're probably so, glad to have you then, right? Yeah. yeah. So you really don't experience those triggers anymore then?
2: No, and I and I think it's because of my new life, you know. I, so I just
1: I think that that's amazing because I totally understand where you're coming from With the trigger idea mm-hmm. because it's interesting to me having been an addict and not an alcoholic um, One of the, one of the things there's certain kinds of drug use that you'll see in movies that triggers me mm-hmm. and it's not so much that I want it. It's that it makes you remember and mm-hmm. there's an odd I, I can't put my finger on it, but it just kind of gives you the, the chills, and you just
2: yeah. I, I think slimy. now that you say that, <laughs> I think the reason why I stay sober is because of my my new life. Yeah. And it's because I'm married, you know, and I want to spend my time with my wife. I don't want to spend my time at the bar, you know, with strangers drinking till I get drunk and act like an idiot or act like a fool. Yeah. I want I want to spend my time with my wife, quality time with her.
1: If you can take. That activity and replace it with love. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like instead of doing negative, I'm going to do positive. Right. I think that's such an important way to see it. And I can't imagine that I would ever go back to that lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things. And I tell you know the people that I've worked with, I tell them you probably think about it the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And with alcohol, you know, with with drugs, it's funny. You leave the you leave the. If you told me, hey, you need to go find some drugs, I don't know that I could. <laughs> I don't that's not a circles that I really run in anymore. I, I don't know how to find this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Alcohol, you can go to any grocery store, any convenience store. Yeah. It's everywhere, any restaurant. Yeah. And so you're surrounded with it all the time and I, I just I think that would be such a challenge. Yeah. Really do. I'll
2: tell you another thing that keeps me sober is my fourth drunk drive and I spent three, three days and two nights in a jail in Houston. And it's supposed to be one of the worst jails yeah. in the United States. Wow. And I seen stuff there that a lot of it I can't repeat, but it just was an eye-opener. And I don't ever want to go back there again, ever. And, and that was, was just
1: like a county jail?
2: Yeah. Well, the Houston, yeah. the city jail or whatever.
1: We had we had a guest on that um, uh, Daniel Cottrell. He was a few maybe eight or ten shows ago, but he was in prison in Houston, and the stories you know he shared a few stories um, just about race divisions and violence and you know how you know pretty much you being somebody who was starting his Christian walk and being in prison. They were two very contrasting worlds because he felt that he had to fight he felt that he had to do these things after talking with Daniel um, I just could not imagine being in that situation and having to contemplate whether your safety or your morality I mean those aren't things that we deal with in normal life and I feel fortunate that the only things that you know I've never been in jail a long time, you know, for, for more than you know, a holding cell, mm-hmm. never been to prison, never had to experience those things, and I sure hope I never do.
2: So. <laughs> I had a guy in, when I was in there, when I first got into jail, he kind of took me underneath his wing and, and said, you just stay with me, you know, I was dressed up in kind of a suit, you know, because I would just come from court, and they said you can either come back and serve your jail time or do it now, and I said I want to do it now and get it over with. So he kind of this guy took me underneath his wing. and He said, "You just stay with me." He said, There's, "You're going to see a lot of stuff that's going to go on here." He goes, "I've been here before, and it's, you know, and he and he talked about God and you know God helping him and you know God saw him through all these problems and it. And I just spent time with Pastor Steve the day before before I went to court. He went with me, and uh, you know I prayed with him and he prayed for me and you know, prayed for my life, and prayed that everything would be okay, and and then I get in jail, and this guy, it's just, a, I thought, well, this is just a coincidence, but it's not, because it's just a ton of things lined up. I was supposed to spend, you know, like, either a week or two weeks in jail, and I thought my career was over, I thought I'd lost my job, you know, and and I'd served three days and two nights in there and was able to get on a plane and get back home and and meet with my boss and on a Monday. and it was just God working in my life. He taught me a lesson, but also was able to to keep things that I needed, my
1: job. and A lot of times when I experience things like that, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know what I needed I needed my father, God to put a little. A little punishment on me, right? Absolutely. Not, not, not out of hate, not out of anger, but, you know, the same thing when I correct my children, right? Exactly. It's, I don't get, I don't, I don't stick them in their rooms or get upset with them because I'm mad or because I dislike them. It's so that they can learn. And I think that sometimes God just wants us to learn. You I know, know he
2: does that yep and that's the way I took it too. The first three I was angry, I was mad, I blamed everybody else but myself. And the fourth one I realized that he was doing this to teach me a lesson and, and I learned a lesson and you know that's, that's another thing that keeps me sober is I know that he had, he taught me that day that you know listen, you got to straighten up. this is your last chance. you need to change your life.
1: I know that probably the most, in in going kind of up and down that roller coaster in my life, the things that I found were, I came to God when I couldn't go anywhere else. And when things finally got to the point where life could not exist any worse than it was, I looked at God. And that's when I developed that kind of personal relationship. and. Understanding that I had to surrender. And did you see that in yours as well? I mean, being that fourth time, I mean, obviously things aren't getting better on your own, right?
2: Right, and that's what they call hitting rock bottom. You know, I hit my rock bottom. And Pastor Shannon and Pastor Dan talk about it all the time, is using God as a... Um, I don't know what they call it but like a book you just pull him off the shelf when you're ready to use him and when you're done with him you put him back on there and forget him and that's not what he that's not what God wants he wants you to be by your side all the time he wants you to think about him all the time Yeah. and and that's exactly the way I used to do is when when I need him you know I'd call on him and you know I need you now but, but- when I'm done you know, I'm going to put you back and stay right there, and genie in a bottle. Genie. That's Just what I was going to say. A genie in a bottle. Come that's on, what Pastor that's Shannon always. and it? Pastor Dan? Yeah, that's their analogy. Yep. Yeah, and I, that's it's exactly the way I used to do. That's my old self, and that's not
1: what I do now. So, yeah. So, what is your what is your relationship with God look like now?
2: I mean, I pray every meal. I I mean, I think about him all the time. I try to to do stuff in his honor. You know, I try to think, you know, what would God want me to do? What would Jesus want me to do in this situation? You know, I try to pray every night. I, you know, I try to pray as much as possible at every situation, not just the bad times, but the good times also.
1: That goes back to the idea of that personal relationship, just to be able to give thanks and be there in the good, be there in the bad, and be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things that, I noticed that I was doing especially earlier on in my walk was that I lied yeah. in my prayers mm-hmm. you know I mean and it's silly to think about but hey God it was a great day well you know what today was horrible you know what I mean like God knows it was horrible I know it was horrible yeah you don't have to pray to him for him to
2: know that <laughs> yeah why, why
1: am I lying about my day, because I think that's what He wants to hear. At the end of the day, I think God just wants to hear our honesty and our mm-hmm. truth. He built us and He made us and He knows those things that we're going through. Why do we think that we can lie to Him? You know, I just, it, it took me a long time to realize that. Maybe it's because I'm so hard-headed, but <laughs> I, you know, I just think that it's interesting. So, yeah. You got remarried. Christian woman,
2: yeah, at the yeah, time?
1: and she's. We,
2: um, when I first met her, we went to some churches in Jackson. We went to some churches in uh, around Battle Creek and Marshall, and I, I think she's always had a um, a drive to be closer to God. After we got married, I mean, we pretty much you know devoted our lives to Him.
1: That's that's amazing. So, how did you guys end up meeting then? <laughs>
2: This is a funny story and I love telling it. People ask me and they'll catch me and they say, you and Molly look so happy, how did you guys meet? And, I, and I'll tell her, I picked her up on the side of the road. <laughs> and that's the truth. She had run out of gas on the side of I-94 and I was going to the races, I used to race cars over in Jackson. So I was on my way to the races and, and seen her and pulled over and asked to help her and I think she was a little scared at first. because. If she told the story, she'd say my mom never told me never to talk to strangers or never ride with strangers, and she said you were pretty strange.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, that that's how we met, and I asked her for a phone number. And did you take her to the history. races with you that night? No, no, ah. <laughs> she wouldn't go <laughs> with me that night. But um, she she did call me a week or so later, and we we um, hooked up, and actually we met at a little park that's right down the road from our house now. That's just it's another God thing, you know, he he put us in that place for a reason. Yeah. We met in Marshall or we met on our first date in Marshall. We went to a restaurant in Marshall and the rest is history. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> married about funny. two or three years later. You were a little bit older when you got married then, right? Yeah. yeah. So what are are there core Fundamentals in your marriage, like just looking at a looking at a strong marriage. What do you guys do to kind of keep that fresh and new and strong? I mean, because I know that there's so many people inside the church, outside the church, who struggle with healthy marriages. Like, is there anything in play that you guys do that just keeps everything alive?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. There's just one thing. I think it's a. Um an array of things. It's. I mean, we go to church every Sunday when I'm home, uh, when I'm not traveling. Um, we we try to do as much stuff together when we're not working. Uh, Molly's got three horses, and I go out there. and I'm not much much of a horse person, but I'll go out there and spend as much time as I can with her out in the barn, just to talk. And I think talking together is a big part. Telling each other how your day went, listen to each other, um, and just. a a big part of spending time together we eat together we have supper together we I say when when we're together we just spend every minute and talk every minute we can together
1: I think it's neat that you talk about how you know she has horses probably love for horses and you're not so much but I think it's neat that you're going to meet her in her place Mm -hmm. right chances are if you don't like horses your place isn't going to be a barn (laughs) full of horses right right but that's the place that she loves Mm -hmm. and and you go hey I'm going to go out there and meet her instead of making her come and sit down on the couch next to you and talk about your day. Yeah. You're, you're you're going to where she is and I think that that's, that looks beautiful.
2: Yeah. And there's there's the guys at work make fun of me, you know, cuz I I pretty much I they feel like they tell me that I live for my wife because I don't have any hobbies anymore, but I've done I've had my dream. I've raced cars for ever since I was 20 years old. I had multiple cars. I had got my son into car racing, but I'm done with that life now. You know, that was part of my drinking days. It's, I'm done with it. And my wife's dream has always been to have horses. Well, when we bought the property in Marshall, you know, she set out some, you know, to to um, accomplish some goals. And I wanted I want to help her live, you know, live her dream. This is her dream now. I've lived mine. I want her to have what she always have has dreamed about since she was a little girl
1: yeah I feel a little bit of that too because you know I've done a lot and I'm happy you know I I would say that there are times where I desperately you know I competed in athletics and different things until I was in my mid-20s and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I sometimes miss competition but if I think would I rather spend five days a week in a gym, working on something, or you know what my dream is? That my family is happy, and my family is doing the things that we want to do. Yeah. You know, when my kids want to go take a Taekwondo class, (laughs) I can put them there and I can not live through them, but help them flourish in their, their place. Because I've been, you know, I talk about the live through them because I have been amazed in, in, the, in the city that we live in, um, you know, uh, central Iowa, right outside Des Moines, competition for kids starts early. They put a really big emphasis mm. on athletics, and we, we put him in flag football. My oldest was in flag football this year. And there were already parents screaming at coaches, Wow. disrespecting their five-year-olds. Half of them can't catch the ball. (laughs) You know, my kid didn't get enough play time, my kid didn't get this, that. Your kid's not an (laughs) all-star. He's five (laughs) five years years old and trying to figure out how to play catch. (laughs) They just got so into it, I think, because their whole being is kind of wrapped up in what their five-year-old accomplishes. Mm -hmm. And mine is not. I just want to see them be happy. Mm-hmm. Right and and to do the things that they want to do within reason. Mm-hmm. So you know, so yeah, I mean, I kind of understand that. My dream is now that my family is good, right? Because yep. if that happens, then what more do I really need? I don't need yeah.
2: anything. I often miss driving a race car too, and it's and I feel the same way you do. You know, I I, I think back like, man, I'd like to do that again, but I forget about how much work it took to. Monday through Friday to get to the racetrack to be able to drive the car. And I think now, you know, I, I don't have the time for that. I'd rather spend my quality time with my wife and, and uh, you know, family's more important than that.
1: I've never, I don't really know much about racing, but what I did was uh, I fought all different kinds of martial arts and, mm-hmm. and combat type sports stuff. And I lived in a gym five days a week, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple hours a day at least, and then the thing that I look back at it, and I miss it, and as, as funny as it sounds, I miss both sides of it. I miss the competition, I miss the physicality of it, and sometimes, you know, at least what I was doing, you get some of that pent-up energy out, and it's yeah. not always even you getting physical with somebody, it's, I kind of miss getting beat up. <laughs> like, because there comes a point where, at least in, in, in what I was doing, where you have to like getting hit as much as you like hitting something, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. so it's it's just weird the parts of it that you miss. But in thinking about it, the older that I get, I don't miss the pain and the healing time right. and you know trying to trying to explain why you got a black eye. You know, I mean, because yeah, you. I remember after after one one fight, I had two black eyes and lumps on my head my lips were oh. bruised I that was the most I've ever gotten beat up in my life and it was a, just a bad situation all around I ended up winning but he looked like he just walked in there's not a single <laughs> thing looking wrong with him and I was covered and bleeding from my nose and beat up and and uh that competition side of it Is I miss, but I do not miss the healing and the recovery because the older that I get, the longer it takes. And from what I understand, racing is fairly physical. I mean, you're sitting in the car, but it's still very physical, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. So, yeah, and I just, you know, the muscle fatigue and all that, I just, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just the adrenaline rush is what I miss, you know, but it's, um, like you say, the preparation for it is just a lot of work, a lot of work.
1: So now, as you... Get a little older, move on a little more. I mean, do you have a relationship with your your child?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Before? Yep. Um, actually, he's still racing cars, and he's got an eight year old boy, my grandson, that's into racing cars. So he's kind of taken up, you know, the way the way I started out racing. He raced a lot himself the first few years, and then he got his son into racing, and then um, I, I think he'll take back up racing after his son gets older. And that's kind of what we
1: did. So now what does an eight-year-old race? Like go kart? Quarter midget.
2: Yeah, they're like a glorified uh, go-kart. They got a roll cage on them with a little more horsepower. Huh. And then they race those indoors in the wintertime and outdoors in the summertime. Wow. So it, it, I had more fun racing with him, watching him race than I did myself, I think.
1: It was so much fun. There's an odd joy, you know, It's kind of like what I'm talking about with some of my kids' stuff, too. There's an odd joy to seeing them do things that, you know, yeah, so you get to watch your kids race. Like now I get to watch my kid do martial arts. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious because we, you know, when you come in, everybody, at least in our situation, everybody, they're in a class. Some of these kids have never done anything. Well, my kid... You know, my oldest in particular, he can tell you what all the different kicks are. He can do them. He can throw, come. Because we have fought since he was little, little. You know what I mean? And like, I remember he'd come and do that big kid swing thing where they just swing their hand over their (laughs) head and try to bonk something. And I'd be like, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. You know, (laughs) and so it's funny to watch him in this class because he does so well. I love seeing him because he knows he's doing good too, you know, mm-hmm. and so he kind of it helps him puff up a little and, and be proud because he's a he's a shy kid, he's somewhat reserved at least in public, in <laughs> private, he's a wild animal. <laughs> but um, just to see him know that he can do something and be successful, because I think that you know even at a young age sometimes. Kids. I mean, as, as adults, sometimes we focus on how unsuccessful we are. Mm-hmm. But I think as kids, sometimes they see themselves as unsuccessful too. So giving them that win and letting them know that they're doing a great job, I think is so important. And yeah. I hope that, you know, when your kid, when he was coming up and now probably seeing your grandkid and seeing that joy in them when they succeed, even if they don't win, mm-hmm. they still did a good job.
2: Yeah. You know. And my son's talked to me about that too. He said, now I see when I watch Isaiah, my grandson, race, what you went through and what you were asking for. And, and so he's, he's seeing what I saw when he was young.
1: It comes so full circle, yeah, right? Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> yep. When you look forward in life a little bit, where are you hoping to be Like for your marriage, for your walk with God, for your kids, grandkids? What you, what you, if you could dream about anything that God could put in front of you, what, do you, what would you hope that would happen?
2: Well, probably one of the biggest things is I would hope that my son would, would finally see the light and, and see my um, Christian faith and drive him closer to God. I mean, he doesn't go to church. We've asked him, you know, invited him and begged him. And um, that's probably one of the biggest things that I would hope for in the near future. Um, and for him to get his son, you know, into Sunday school and, and get him started, I think that's important. And for my wife and I just to be closer and just spend more time with our church family. And retirement's coming soon. That's
1: what I was. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask about. <laughs> you
2: just. We have. We've got. Um, we sat down with a financial advisor and. And we figured out a plan for me and my wife. And I've got eight more years till I retired. She's gonna work probably another 10 years. And then we've we've got a vision of property down south, somewhere where it's warm. <laughs> so, um, and living on a lake, maybe, with a boat. Boat and, and some time to relax. And some rocking together. chairs, yeah. sit on, sit on yep. the
1: patio and drink lemonade. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and I think that's, I'm, I'm what? 30 years from retirement (laughs) something like that man i still daydream about it you know like if i could just sit at home with my wife and we could just do those mundane things you know what we could go to target in the middle of the day you know what (laughs) that would be wonderful yeah you know just to think about being able to spend that quality time together i think there's so much there's so much joy that i find in it yeah you know, as we're, we're coming up on, on an hour here in, in a few minutes, um, is there anything that you think that you could share with somebody who's listening that's maybe, maybe struggling in life, you know, whether it's alcohol or relationships or children? or I mean, when you look back, if you could give, if, from your life, if you could give a little bit of information to somebody, what, what do you think that would be?
2: Well, somebody for somebody that's drinking and has a problem with it, I think a big thing is to get into AA and get you a sponsor. I tried to tell my story to a few people, people at work, you know, that I feel are alcoholics, and and share with them what I went through and what um, you know the the troubles I hit, you know, and the the rock bottom and and how I found Jesus, and and I think it's really important that they listen to me and and know that what I went through was terrible. It was just one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Get into AA and get a sponsor, uh, get close to Jesus, find a church, find a good church family, and groups are a great way to um, get involved with that, get new friends, you know, change your life, do it while you're young, life's too short.
1: So uh, that made me think about something though. Your friends. How did that situation change? Did you have to pretty much get rid of a lot of friends from before? Or did they just kind of eventually find their way out of your life? Like well, that's always a interesting lot of my walk.
2: friends were a lot of the people I work with, you know, and they're still pretty bitter about it. And they look. I think they look down on me for it, but it doesn't bother me. I w- I wanted to change my life, and I did, and. and if they don't like it, it's too bad. I mean, I can't drink with them anymore. I, I can't drink anymore. It's, and I told them that. I said, I'm sorry, but it's just the way it's got to be. I got the whole group of guys together when I came back to work from Houston and told them, please learn from my mistake. You know, if you're going to drink, you know, don't drink and drive. You know, it's not only your life. It's, you know, an innocent pedestrian walking down the road. It's their life, too. Um, I was just fortunate I didn't kill nobody or hurt myself or anybody else. Um, but I got them together in a group and told them, you know, please learn from my mistake. You know, um, I-, I wish you guys would get closer to Jesus and or you know follow in in His footsteps. It's it's a big part of it's a big part of life, and like I say, life's too short. You gotta you gotta embrace it while you can. Yeah,
1: you know? I mean... That's, that's exactly it, and I think that, I think it's so wonderful to see you just using that as a ministry field, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and just being that example, and when some guy says, you know, it's what I went through, when some guy says, God, I don't know what to do with my life, you know, it's, my life is a mess, you know what comes to mind, what came to mind for me? All of those people who were doing things differently, and what were they doing differently? They knew God.
2: And that's, that's what AA teaches is, when you go through the process to get sober, that you gotta change your friends, the people you hang around, the people, or the places you visit, the bars, the you know, restaurants or whatever serve alcohol, you gotta change all that to change your life. Yeah. And people get so sick of me saying this, and, and I don't care, but my life is so much better the last seven or eight years. It's so much
1: better. I don't think anybody should be sick of you saying it. I think that it's amazing. I I know that I describe my life as the same. It's so much better. Yeah. But I would never want to forget where I came from because I'm, I feel fortunate that I know what a life not so great is and I know what a life that is
0: filled is
2: that's what part of a part of that keeps me sober is not forgetting where I came from I don't want to go back there so it's good that it you know there's a reminder there that I don't know I just I don't want to go back there and it's good it's I still remember it because yeah. I think that's what keeps me sober
1: and when we work with those people around us I don't go to church here in southern michigan unless I'm visiting you mm-hmm. know and and but As I travel around the country and I go to churches, a lot of them are the same. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You get the same feel, the same vibe, and you talking about alcoholism, me talking about addiction, I've had friends who have spoken about pornography and different things like that. Those are all things that are somewhat hushed up within the church. Mm -hmm. And so, as sad as it is, and and maybe I'm speaking out out of place a little bit, but for people like us to be able to walk in and relate to somebody who needs help. Sometimes churches don't have the right facility to be able to support that person, Mm -hmm. but God has put that facility in you. You can facilitate the walk of that person and not take on their responsibility, but yet show them a different way of life and show them, I know where you've been, I know, When I was working with the kids I was telling you about earlier, you're you're detoxing. You know, day one is rough. Yeah. Day two, way worse. Yeah. You know, and just being able, I can explain. Here's how you're going to feel tomorrow. Here's what's going to happen to your body. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to like it. Being able to just, they know that somebody else has gone through what they, they do. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I love the ability to be able to do this show, to show people that you're not alone. You know mm-hmm. those things that, those things that you hide and those things that you hold on to. Once we have embraced these situations enough to be able to openly discuss them, I think that we grow so much. Taking you know, I know it's used with sexual sin a lot, but take those things out of the shadows and put them in the light. And that goes with any of our sins. You know, yeah. even even the kind of ones that we don't see. I mean, what gossip or you know these. These kind of minor infractions that we see, we need to put them in the light. You can't get over them if you if you're if you still don't talk hiding about them.
0: them. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So
1: that's one of the reasons, man. I, I thank you so much for coming, and I thank you so much for taking time to be with us and share your story. It was a pleasure meeting you. So
2: thank you so much. It was a great honor.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing Mike's story. Again, big thank you goes out to First West. And one thing I haven't asked you guys to do before is First West has an amazing Facebook page as well. Uh, They have a lot of activities. Go and check them out. Leave them a comment. Let them know how much you really appreciate us being there. Also, have a great week and be blessed.